0: You are listening to a Sunday morning message from River Corner Church. River Corner Church is a growing church community of everyday people who gather to worship God, follow Jesus, and journey through life together. You are invited to gather with us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. If you have any questions about something you heard in this message, or if you want to learn more about our growing church community, visit us online at rivercornerchurch.com. As we begin to emerge from the Christmas season, ultimately, we begin to set new goals and mindsets. We begin to have expectant hopes and dreams. It's interesting how... Christmas is celebrated both with mess and beauty. I was thinking about this after the kids opened some of the presents and I'm there with the trash can trying to get every piece of wrapping paper so it doesn't stack up. And here in the middle of both uh, trash and beauty, these gifts and kids joy, there is beauty and mess found. Beauty is found in the mess. Usually, as we begin to look towards the new year, we start to look at the year behind as one that was messy and hard. It's full of lament and pain and problem. And this act of remembering all that we struggled with the past year somehow usually compels or propels us, pushes us forward emotionally and physically and mentally towards greater hopes and dreams for the year ahead. But the truth is, the year behind was not only full of losses and hurts and pains, but it was full of wins and celebrations and magical moments. And the year ahead will come with hopes and dreams and and celebrations, but it will also come with pain and problems. I was reading an article this week, and it shared that out of 100 resolutions that people make, only eight of them will actually get carried out. and In another article, they polled people about their resolutions and and their thoughts towards the new year, and they reported that 57% of people polled were optimistic that the next year, the one that's coming up, 2023, is going to be so much better, more magnificent than 2022. Now, out of those 57% of people that said this next year is going to be better than last year, 45% of them also admitted they felt the same thing about 2022 as they went into it. For this reason, I guess that uh, it doesn't matter what mindset you have going into the new year. For some reason, there's something in many of us that always thinks that next year, this new year is going to be better than the one before. In that poll, out of 45% of them, they said that this, thought, this year was going to be, their past year was going to be good. And only 32% said it actually was good. So again, I guess the mindset that we go into a new year matters little. I also found it interesting that out of those polled, a third of Americans, as of last week, already knew what all of their resolutions for the new year were going to be, and 36% of them, a third of Americans, said that the, their goal, the majority of those polled, their goal were going to be smaller resolutions this year. I think, perhaps we believe if we lower the bar about what we're aiming for, they'll be more attainable and achievable Though, 18% of those who polled did admit that they're setting major goals and resolutions, and the rest said that they hope to do a plan of small and big resolutions and goals for the New Year's. New Year's are like open canvases for us to paint our hopes and dreams on. Now, perhaps you don't set resolutions or goals for the new year, and maybe just perhaps you don't admit it to yourself or other people, but I think many of us, as we look at a new year, we begin to see this opportunity to begin to shift something in our lives, to shape something differently, maybe about the way we think or believe, or perhaps we want to change somewhere where we live, work, or play. Regardless of what the new year holds for us, most of us enter it with some sort of plan, goal, resolution, or hopeful shift. Perhaps you're more like the character Charlie Brown, who said, You know how I always dread the whole year. Well, this time, I'm only going to dread one day at a time. For me, as we enter a new year... It also brings with it the invitation or the opportunity to realign and to re-anchor ourselves into something greater. A new year brings the invitation, the opportunity to seek after God in new ways. To make sure that the goals and the hopes and the dreams that we are dreaming for ourselves, hoping for ourselves, actually are driving us into deeper intimacy and walk and step with Jesus. If not, our hopes and dreams may actually be distractions to our spiritual journey. They may actually be uh, troublesome to where God longs to lead us. It is important for us to learn to realign and anchor ourselves in a new year, as individuals and as a church, because this year can have just as many distractions and troubles and hopes and fears as the previous year's. Both hopes, goals, those things that we think of as good, and fears, our worries and anxieties, have the potential in any year to knock us off course. This week, as I was reflecting on the new year, I continued to hear in my head just this one line from the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It's a song that we often sing at Christmas time, and we confess in this song about our hopes and fears. And we remind ourselves that in the birth of Jesus... Uh, there's this everlasting light that shines amidst our hopes and fears. In fact, we sing, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. That line from O Little Town in Bethlehem, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight, has been constantly on my mind this week. So here we are at a pivotal point, at one year ending, another beginning. We're in this liminal space between these new years, and this line is confessing, reminding us that the birth of Jesus, the coming life and ministry of Jesus, is the hope, the meaning, the purpose of all of humanity For you and me. It's the thing that we will find our purpose, our answers, our hope, and even our contentment and substance during the pain and fears of our mortal condition. In fact, in that song, he goes on to say that uh, they are walking in dark streets, and yet there is this light that shines on. When we sing that song and we reflect on what it means to be walking dark streets and to be looking for this light that shines on, this eternal light that holds our hopes and fears, I often think of John's telling of the Christmas story, John 1, where he writes the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And John goes on to mention that Jesus was that true light to everyone, not just some to everyone in the world, yet... He was in the world. The light was there, and the world was made through him, but the world did not recognize him. Some people were too busy with their stuff, their resolutions, their plans, their goals, their hopes, their dreams, that they missed out on the birth of Jesus. And we've seen... In the Christmas story, how easy it was to overlook this simple birth of Jesus. It was though found by those who were willing to be seeking both wise men and shepherds. And John says that, he goes on to say that those seeking the answer experienced transformation. And to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. And to the children of God, John will later say, he gifts the Spirit of God. And that is the Christmas story in this symbolic and theological nutshell. It's a story that we've been looking at for the past few weeks. It's the story that Jesus will live out in his life and ministry and eventually say, I am that light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of the life. It is that light that John says that will give light to those who are the children of God, who will make them children of God. And Jesus even says when he grows up, whoever does the will of my father is my brother and my sister, my mother. In essence, literally, they are children in the household of God. And though there are many hopes and fears that may lurk in the year ahead, we must not lose sight that our identity needs and must be re-anchored, realigned in something greater, stronger than our hopes for the new year or our fears of the new year. It must be anchored in a reality that we are children of God and that our hopes and fears are met in him. There's an eternal light in the darkness for those willing to seek. We must never lose seeing. Paul, in writing to the church in Rome, the church living in the shadow of the empire, he tells them the same thing. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And he comments that the children of God are those willing to be led by the Spirit of God. So as we look this new year at what it means to be children of God, as we look at what it means to be people who are led by the Spirit of God, who allow our lives to be interrupted by the Spirit of God, I found that I think for the year ahead, a verse that service well, and Katie read it earlier, is found in Psalm 90. And so any setting of goals that we must do, you and I, in the new year, must embrace a Jesus, the life and ministry of a Jesus that time and time again said, I can only do what I see my Father doing. The setting of any goals for a new year for us or as a church must look at the life and ministry of Jesus and, and wrestle with a Jesus who says, worry not about tomorrow, because each day has a trouble of its own. This new year and our thoughts towards it must be focused on seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. The new year and any of our thoughts towards it, any of our goal setting, must be wrestling and focused on what it means to not worry about what we will eat or drink or wear. At the start of a new year, as we re-anchor and realign ourselves, we must realize that worrying will not add a single hour to our life. We must remember and embrace that even though we're worried and upset about a great many things, only one thing matters. It's at the start of this new year that we remember and embrace that we must Be anxious for nothing, and in everything, approach God, as Paul says, through prayer and petition and with thanksgiving. A new year gives us a chance to cast our anxious moments on him. Our thoughts, our hopes, our fears, because ultimately God cares for us. And perhaps then when we reach that surrender and submission, It is then that we as a church and as individuals experience the peace that goes beyond all understanding. We don't have time to get into it all this morning, but we're going to turn quickly to Psalm 90. And I'll try to keep my remarks short. There's this passage in Psalm 90. We're just going to look at ninety twelve for the sake of time today, chapter 90, verse 12. And it's this passage in Psalm that theologian Robert Alden calls a prayer that is ideal for self-discipline and goal-oriented living. So as we think about a new year, this is the passage that gets called ideal for goal-oriented living. And as we look to it, I want to just make a few remarks here. This Psalm 90, you may see at the beginning of it there, it says, This is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And scholars are long, have long debated if this really was a prayer of Moses that, that David collected, or if it is a prayer that David would have assumed that would be like one that we see Moses praying in the wilderness or in Exodus 32, regardless of it, it is full of deep meaning. It is a passage that I often read at funerals because it reminds us to wrestle with the mortality of our condition, the brokenness of our condition, our hopes, our fears, and to find something eternal, something greater. It starts by confessing to God that he's been their dwelling place. They've given him everything, their lives, throughout all generations, lives upon lives. And many of us this morning are generational believers. We've grown up with God being the dwelling place of many of our families. And it says, before the mountains were born, you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Then goes through to Russell with the present The hopes and the fears, the the mortality of man, the brokenness of all, the way that we face consequences and that we have secret sins and the way that life is so short. And it cumulates into verse 12 where it says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. As we enter and head into a new year, perhaps there's no more fitting theme or prayer or goal. Such a goal keeps us surrendered, and and it submits us, it reminds us to uh, be surrendered to God in a way that we don't ever miss out on what God is doing. We must be spiritual seekers, and in a world that's focused on achieved living, I've noticed how the church has become distracted by what they call victorious living, which is the same message packaged differently. The church has become distracted by this idea of victorious living, which can be hard at times to tell apart from where I find the statement of Jesus being completely different in the New Testament, of picking up our cross and following him. And so I want us to notice just a few things in the time that we have left about this passage. And the first thing is this, teach us Underline that, highlight that, us, uh, circle it. Remember, the word there implies this is a communal prayer, and scholars have long said that this was read communally as a press uh, blessing. It's the first chapter of Book Four. Of Psalms. Psalms is actually broken up into many books, and this intro is the beginning of the book of Lament, and it was one that was read together. But when you see the word "us," remember. That you cannot go it alone. In the new year, you must surrender both our hopes and fears to Jesus before we react to our plan, and we also must know that we, my slides are messed up, but we must need others around us. The word for teach there means to know by experience, it's a dangerous prayer. That Moses, or at least David, models for us here. You know, we often joke, don't pray for patience because God will put you through the fire to teach you patience. That's the meaning of this word. To teach means to be forced through instruction. To know By experience. And the word for number means to take an account for. It's an accounting word that we must find ourselves with imperative meaning at every moment, that each day has been assigned and appointed. It's something that has an accounted for meaning, and it's something we will be accountable to and for. I think of Paul's comments in the New Testament that we must take every thought captive. And the same idea here to teach us, to let us know by experience, to hold into account our days so that we may gain. And the word for gain there is actually a, a word that means to advance or to go on and go through to take account for it. It can mean this kind of invasive and transformative reality that we are forced in the new year to start a new journey that will change us, to start a, a new journey with God that's looked like one never before, both as a church and as individuals. The word heart obviously meaning our inner man, our mind, our soul, the guts of who we are. We realize that in this we see that we are invited to see wisdom, not judgment for the heart of every manner. And the word for wisdom implies not only just skill, but that through wisdom we actually find and reveal divine wisdom that God is leading us. As we look to the year ahead, Psalm ninety twelve 12 will serve as one will reflect often on as we hold it up as a theme, as we hold it up as a piece of reflection, as something to hold and pray together, to keep each other accountable to, to pray for our church that we will find our days. We'll take account of our days in a way that we are transformed, that we have gained on inner focus of wisdom or God's leading. As Robert Auden says, learn to number your days. This is an excellent prayer text for the lessons of self-discipline and goal orientation, but how few actually do it. If this is a psalm written by Moses as I believe it to be, then I get the idea of Moses in the wilderness. Get this idea of him instructing his friends, his followers, his community to only eat the manna that God provides for that day. To not worry about the next day, to not store up for the day tomorrow. And it reminds me of the prayer that Jesus gives us, that we are to pray the Lord's Prayer. It says, as it is in heaven, uh, sorry, give us today our Daily bread, the bread that we need for today, not tomorrow, but today. And so as you set goals and mindsets for the new year, as you start a new journey towards wisdom, as we as a church start a new journey towards wisdom, do not be overwhelmed with tomorrow's troubles, but rather focus merely, as this passage says, on the opportunities before you now. Don't look at the long journey ahead where you'll be overwhelmed. Today is just enough. It's not too much. It's not too little. It is manageable. You have enough time today to carry about everything that God wants you to carry today. And often when we feel overwhelmed, it's a sign that we've created for ourselves a hope or a fear that is outside of God's will for our lives. So let us cherish the ordinary today. There's an author by the name of Matthew Kelly that writes, Life is messy. That's the human dilemma. You're not doing anything wrong. You see, life isn't a color-within-the-lines exercise. It's a wild and outrageous invitation full of certain outcomes. And sometimes it is beautifully rational, and other times it lacks all logic. The mess of life is both inevitable and unexpected. There's no plan you can devise that will solve the mess, there's no product you can buy, but it's what we do with the mess that matters and determines everything. You can ignore it, you can deny it, you can avoid it, you can blame it, you can shame yourself, you can exhaust yourself while pretending life isn't messy, but when you wake up tomorrow, the mess will still be there. Or, he says, you can realize that the mess serves a powerful purpose. To discover that purpose, we need to accept that the mess is not the problem. The problem is that we have a belief, an error belief, that everything should be immaculate, orderly, neat, tidy, and in its place. Psalms 90.12, and why it is our our verse for the year ahead, says wisdom is not found in the neat and tidy But it's found when we can accept that life is not a color within the lines exercise, but rather when we learn to live in a new way that says, in the middle of the mess, teach me in the middle of this mess how to number my day, to discover the purpose of the mess so that I can gain a heart of wisdom.